Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the fourth episode of the first series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. This time we consider, will blockchain disrupt the future of HR technology? We're fond of hyping new technologies in HR, but I sense that the buzz around blockchain is actually being underplayed. Recent research by Accenture, which was published at the World Economic Forum in Davos, found that if companies can unlock the value of workforce data whilst maintaining high levels of employee trust, the 600 biggest publicly listed companies in the world alone could unlock a combined value of $3 trillion. One of the challenges to unlocking this value is the whole subject of data privacy and ownership. This is where blockchain potentially comes in, as it could fundamentally shift the status quo on employee data being owned by companies to a future where the data is very much owned by the individual worker and shared with its organisation. Our guest today is Yvette Cameron, founder and principal analyst at NextGen Insights, who is a true expert in the HR technology space, having previously been Global Head of Strategy at SAP SuccessFactors and Research Director for Human Capital Management Technology at Gartner. Yvette is working closely with a number of HR technology companies to think about how blockchain could be used to revolutionise the situation around data ownership. Will we see a new vendor enter the market and create this capability? Or will the HR tech companies themselves collaborate and create something together? It's certainly a fascinating topic. In our podcast, Yvette and I discuss, firstly, what blockchain is and the impact it will potentially have on HR, HR technology, and who owns employee data. We'll then talk about the consequent need for HR to evolve and embrace a digital mindset. Then we'll look at some of the research that Yvette has done around the role of design thinking in creating the employee experience. And we'll also talk about some of the challenges that organizations are, are facing around that whole topic of employee experience. And as always, we'll talk about how the role of HR will have evolved by 2025. This episode is a must listen for HR leaders and professionals intrigued by blockchain and the opportunity it provides for HR, as well as those involved in digital transformations and employee experience initiatives. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for this series of five episodes of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support is brought to you by CultureAmp. CultureAmp is the world's largest people and culture platform that helps companies take action to improve employee engagement, retention and performance. CultureAmp is a culture-first certified B Corporation used by over 2,100 customers including brands such as Airbnb, Kind Snacks, Autotrader, Salesforce, Slack and McDonald's. Start developing a deep understanding of your employees' experience today by visiting cultureamp.com. That's cultureamp.com. Welcome to the Detroit HR Leader Show, Vet. Great to have you. Thank you very much. Would you like to give our listeners a quick introduction to you and your background and a focus of your work at NextGen Insights? Sure, sure. So I founded NextGen Insights about a year ago. Um, I founded it on top of being in the industry for over 30 years. And the focus is really advising um, smaller startup vendors um, who are looking to enter the space with innovative new technologies, larger technology vendors who are looking to embrace new, fast-growing, disruptive technologies, 
and helping customers make sense of it. So I'm advising buyers and uh, tech vendors at the same time. And again, my focus is really on disruptive technologies. I've spent the last three to four years really looking at the future of work, the trends, technologies like blockchain and artificial intelligence, and where are they taking us for the future? Which leads us nicely on to, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, uh, and you're doing some work around an initiative you call the Internet of Careers, mm-hmm. which I think our listeners will be really intrigued to find a little bit more about. Sure, can you, sure. Can you provide some insights? So, you know, the Internet of Careers, um, you know, it was really the, the genesis of, of thinking through kind of what's happening today. Uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I started realizing, um, along with several others, that we've got over 3 billion connect- people connected on the Internet. We've got um, self-driving cars. We have um, our our appliances in our houses that can communicate to each other. And yet when we're looking to source talent for our organizations or as a candidate, we're looking to be matched intelligently, um, the, the reality is we're still relying on you know CVs and resumes and um, self-reported information that doesn't necessarily have the full picture of who I am as a candidate or what the opportunities are out in the market. So um, the Internet of Careers is really... Uh, the creation of a frictionless, trusted, um, fair exchange of data on the internet. Um, It's it's a blockchain-based approach. Um, It is uh, focused on really addressing some of the key, I think, trends and challenges that are driving us to look at technologies like blockchain. Let me me give you a couple of examples. Um, One trend I've been looking at is the fact that uh, in the HCM space, we're spending billions of dollars, literally, on artificial intelligence, right? Taking advantage of machine learning, new algorithms that are intended to bring much smarter processing to data. And in the area of recruiting and, and talent acquisition, it's all about getting the better matches of individuals and who they are and, and the jobs and opportunities we have. But if you think about it, the data that those algorithms are based on, David, um, are very siloed. I mean, the data that my employer has on me and their HCM system is one view of me. But the reality is more and more people have portfolio careers. They work at an employer. I'm doing my side gig. um, And that data might be captured on a gig platform. Um, I might be doing, you know, other other pieces learning that's not captured by me by any system. And so the amount of data that these algorithms are using to do matching um, is, is small and getting smaller. Because, again, I'm taking more jobs outside. I might ask my employer to forget who I am, right, part of GDPR. And so the promise of great matching um, of candidates to job opportunities is getting diminished by the fact that the data isn't there. And why isn't it there? Because employers and HCM systems own the data today, right? We're not thinking about how do we put more data into the hands of individuals Mm. so that they can share their, their whole portfolio to make better matching um, matching decisions. That's one of the trends. Um, but the bottom line here is that we have a vision that if we are able to help employers, help HCM technology vendors realize that they no longer own the data, that the data is mine, the data is yours. It's an individual-based approach. If we can help them understand that, publish information in a free and frictionless way into a technology that is trusted, that can't be changed, that allows for validation of you know who I am and what I'm doing. If we can allow for that information to be populated, 
suddenly we have a comprehensive fabric of data upon which we can do analytics, do job matching, surface ourselves, etc. So that's essentially the internet of careers, looking to create a frictionless, uh, trusted framework for exchanging data and, and driving um, driving better better career matching. And, it, and potentially everyone's win, everyone wins then. Yeah, absolutely. One of the challenges that I see when I talk to organizations about people analytics is they say their HR, the human capital data, isn't good enough. They yeah. say it's missing, there's no incentive for, for workers to actually give, provide data. It's lost in all different silos and systems. So what you're explaining really is actually a, an opportunity for organizations as well, but certainly for the work of the workforce, who, let's be honest, it's their data, that they can take it with them as they move around their career, exactly. whether that's a portfolio career or a more traditional career between organizations. Exactly. Yeah, we're finding that um, you know the trust uh, is not very high um, in organizations. Um, more and more employees are saying, you know, we want to take our data with us. In fact, there was a recent survey that came out of the Davos um, um, meeting that showed that 73% of uh, employees were saying, yes, you know, we want to be able to take this information with us. And actually, employees and individuals are willing to share data. They're willing to contribute data to their employers if there's a real benefit. But if the benefit is mismatched because it's not complete, you're recommending jobs for me without any knowledge of these skills and capabilities I have over here, so I'm only getting a subset of the jobs, I'm not necessarily getting the value. So in a blockchain environment, you've got the ability to store all of your information completely trusted because it's it's owned by you, the individual, and suddenly the data that can be leveraged on top of that is, is of course, more comprehensive and so better matching. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I... I, what I'm talking about here, the use of blockchain in, in talent acquisition, it's not new. All right? there's, there's a large number of players out there who are uh, exploring new initiatives. As I said, I do a lot of work with startups, and there's probably 15 or so different programs um, that are working toward this. But I think the problem with, with the, the initiatives I've seen on the market today, and, and this is why I'm talking about the Internet of Careers, because if you think about it, nobody owns the Internet, right? No. And in the Internet of Careers, nobody should own that data except the individuals. And so the problem I see with some of the initiatives on the market today is that they are for-profit, vendor-based approaches to gathering data in a blockchain um, making different matches, having the the identity, the self-sovereign identity, so that again you own it. And it sounds great, but at the end of the day, these are for-profit, vendor-focused initiatives. And we've seen what happens in that case, right? We've seen the rise of social media solutions that take 90% of the value out of the newspaper industry. We've seen the rise of um, social sites that capture our professional information, but it's self-reported and not validated. And so the efficacy of that data is questioned. So the approach that I'm working on uh, with this Internet of Careers is an industry consortium-based approach. No single vendor, I believe, can rise to the surface and deliver truly a blockchain-based, a trusted uh, immutable approach to all of your career data um, that benefits both employers and employees. Somebody's going to rise and take all in that two-sided system, right? In, in the employer and the employee side, I'm expecting that the industry leaders across gig platforms, HR technology platforms, anybody dealing with labor um, data, background checks, assessments, etc., we need to come together. We need to create 
the standards, the approaches, the protocols for how data is written to the blockchain. And then on top of that, innovation and creativity and all the value add from individual vendors can come, but we have to have a new fabric for how we operate our labor, our labor markets. Okay. You mentioned blockchain a few times. Yeah. Uh, and I know this is something I know I struggle sometimes to get some of our colleagues in HR to understand people analytics and the yeah. difference between reporting. I imagine you're having similar challenges around blockchain. It's it sort of a bring it back to, to lay people's term, but how would yeah. you describe what blockchain is to the, the uninitiated, as yeah. they say? So, you know, essentially blockchain, blockchain is just a technology, right? It's not some magic bullet. It's, it's, um, it's just a technology that essentially uh, uses the concept of a distributed ledger. So information isn't stored in one centralized siloed database that is subject uh, to being hacked and, you know, the data violations copies of information which are stored in blocks and hence you know connected as a blockchain are stored across multiple ledgers multiple distributed sites and so what what that means is information that is um, is written and agreed upon um, is is replicated across multiple sites if you go in and you want to change it you say you want to hack this system and 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 change your employment date or you know take take uh, ownership of some data it, it, the other systems have to agree to that, and that's the consensus network approach. So this, this it, again, it's just another way of storing and managing data, but it uses hashes and different ways of, uh, of storing the technology so that it's very secure. Um, you can add additional records, but you can't change it. Now, right here, I'm going to stop and say, this is where people say, oh, it's never going to work, because GDPR. Right. In, in Europe, we're required to um, allow the information to be erased. And if blockchain is unerasable, it's, it's unchangeable, how do you meet that? Um, the fact is, blockchain is not inconsistent with European rules around data privacy. Um, the data privacy rules aren't just about deleting information. It's about conveying ownership of the data to individuals. And that's what blockchain does. And you can essentially remove access to data by destroying keys in the blockchain. So I, as the individual, can say, employer, I want you to erase my information in your system, but I still want to keep it in the blockchain. And if for some reason I do want to delete that information forever, I own the key that lets me turn off access, and it's unrecoverable. So there's some risk there, of mm. course, mm. but um, it's not inconsistent with GDPR. So it's just another way of storing data, but in a much more secure and reliable way. So if anything, it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually beneficial to GDPR, which puts obviously more rights for the, for the actual owner of the data, i.e. the individual. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, employer employees today are reaching out to employers, not in mass, but it's going to increase over mm. the next few years. And they're saying, hey, I want a copy of my data. And, you know, they're getting what the employer gives them. But I can guarantee you with all the integrations we have going across our HCM systems, there are other copies of that data in other systems, right? If I've got my HCM system, it's been replicated to background checks. It's been replicated to analytics and engagement and all kinds of other tools. So, um, frankly, publishing this to the blockchain is even more secure yeah. and, um, and helps ensure the, um, the privacy of that data. So we both spoke recently at the Unleash conference in London. One of the conversations I heard was around actually local data legislation. So we've mentioned GDPR, but also places like Russia, obviously China and California, different legislations coming in, which is making it even more complex for the big HEMs to actually operate in that environment. 
But from what you were saying, it sounds like blockchain actually supports that and actually helps enable that better. Yeah, I, I would say it absolutely does. We're going to see more and more legislation coming up around ownership of uh, data, um, use of the data, where it resides, etc. And blockchain, you know, does ultimately give control to the individual. And that's the essence of where these data laws are, are coming from, giving individuals control, access, how the information is used. So I think blockchain is well positioned and legislation will continue to come. Blockchain will, you know, will continue to refine the, the uh, capabilities and whatnot. But I think it's the best positioned technology out there um, for what's coming. And it's interesting, you referred to the research at Davos, which I think was the Accenture Decoding yes, Organizational yes. DNA Research. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the impact of some of the, the scandals that have been on the consumer data side are starting to have an impact on the, the, the employee or workplace right. side as well. I saw it saying about two-thirds of employees were worried that their data might be misused. Uh, you mentioned that they're actually quite happy for their organizations to use their data if they get benefits. If they get benefits. And I think there was one stat in there saying that 30% of all, only 30% of organizations or business leaders felt that they were using the, the data well with trust imposed. Exactly. So you said that with blockchain, actually that really helps accelerate that trust thing, which means that all you know employees should, or workers will be more willing to give access yeah. to their organizations and organizations can unlock some of that value that that Accenture report um, exactly talks you about. know speaking on the trust there was a report out by Edelman Trust uh, Barometer who you know I think they reported that somewhere around 40% of social media users had deleted at least one of their social accounts so you know this lack of trust is certainly on the consumer side we're oh. seeing it on the employer side it's a it's it's a, a challenge that needs to be addressed and so you look at blockchain and our initiative, as I said earlier, around the Internet of Careers, the idea of being able to access information that then is, is already validated, right? Think about the way that speeds things up, the, the, the friction it removes, and, and ultimately the, the trust that it engenders. When I'm sharing my portfolio, my briefcase of information with you, you know the information is valid and can be trusted. That's huge. That is huge. So a lot of this is, is premised, of course, on HR becoming a little bit more digitally savvy, mm -hmm. going through digital transformation, um, being a bit more comfortable using data. Where do you think HR is on that journey at the moment? It is, um, it is a spectrum. We talk about <laughs> spectrums a lot nowadays, and, and it's definitely the digital, um, the digital uh, transformation spectrum or awareness or uh, maturity level. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I talk to so many different companies, and um, in a single day, I'll talk to a company who's, you know, embracing new technologies around employee experience, and you know, they're integrating it to their other fifteen or twenty different systems, and they're uh, thinking about how do we have new measures of, of uh, impact of these investments, and that's great. And in the same day, I'll talk to a company who says, you know, we're just about ready to launch employee self-service. We're thinking we might put some manager self-service out there. Of course, I have to laugh because I introduced that back in the late 90s <laughs> for a company I was working at. And, and the fact is, it's all good, right? We, it, we need to keep making those steps. Um, I, overall, the industry is maturing. The biggest caution I would give, though, is that Digital maturity and, and moving along digital transformation, it's not just about technology. And that's probably the number one um, fallacy I see out there is if we embrace this technology, we'll become digital. And, and people are thinking about digitizing processes, but they're not thinking about recreating and rethinking and asking, 
do we even need this process in light of the new capabilities that mm. technology enables? So, um, so I, I think, again, my mantra when I'm talking to folks is not just about what new technology can you invest in, and there are some fabulous ones, um, but they have to match with your mindset, your culture, and your organization of what do you want the experiences to be, um, uh, what are the, the goals and accomplishments that we're, we're trying to make sure that we meet, uh, what are the strategies of the organization, and are these, these new processes, new changes, new technologies going to get us there? But on a scale of one to 10 as an industry, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say we're about six. Yeah, well, that's that's quite generous of you. <laughs> um, I mean, certainly one of the big talks, you mentioned employee experience, yeah. you know, and certainly when I'm talking to people analytics leaders now and, and CHROs, it's a, certainly a big focus area. Now, you've written some, some, some stuff about, you know, you feel that initiatives in that area are failing, actually. Be, you know, why do you think that is? And, yeah. and maybe also who's doing it well, if yeah. you can think of any organizations. So well. um, I, I do tend to like to be a little controversial uh, in saying that employee experience initiatives are failing and here's why. But the truth is um, a lot of them are. And it's not unlike the experiences we had, uh, David, when people 15 years ago were first investing in talent management. We expected all these tremendous investment uh, results from these investments um, in talent management, and you know, ten years later, people are saying, Where, "Where's where's the result?" Yeah. And to some extent, we're starting to see that in employee experience. Employee experience and, and platforms, the hot word right now. But we have been delivering experiences right through technology for many years now, and so it's 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 already um, uh, we're at a stage where we can look back and say, "Yes, those were working or not." What's not working? Um, what I'm finding is people are embracing technology um, and in silos. You know, they, yeah. they, it's kind of the the drop in, and and then walk away and see what sticks type yeah. uh, type approach. And without context, without that technology being in the flow of work that I do as an individual, or having executive support behind it, um, it becomes a, a fun toy for a while, but not necessarily something that I embrace as part of my work. And so the experience is short-lived. Um, another challenge, I think, is um, uh, over overburdened, right? I mean, we are throwing so many different technologies. Our HCM uh, vendors have you know, great investments that are coming in. Uh, there are niche uh, solutions that sometimes organizations bring in. There's a, you know, communication tools from uh, different non-HR technologies that I use in my work. And so this, this, um, this overburdening of, of me with too many applications can cause some dissonance and, and actually add to frustration. Again, the same challenge we saw when we first introduced self-service 20 years ago and the gooey glut that we talked about. So I feel like we're repeating some of our cycles, embracing new technologies, throwing them out there, stepping back and saying, oh, we're not quite having the experiences we need. And there are some, you know, there are some things that we need to do to, to fix that. And I think one of them is, you know, first off, asking employees, what do you need? Well, yeah. And funny enough, um, I saw Mark Levy speaking recently. Mm -hmm. Mark, obviously, as you know, set up employee experience right. at, in fact, you renamed HR, called it employee experience when he was at um, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he described employee experience as doing things with and for employees rather than to them. Yes, I've and I know, embraced that statement And I know myself. you've just published some research around that and, yeah. and you've, you've talked about the use of design thinking in yeah. employee experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's fundamentally it. We're, we're 
investing in these technologies. We have our think tanks in HR where we're innovating new processes, but so often employees are not involved in the process. And that's at the core of design thinking. You need to empathize uh, with the individuals that you're trying to serve, get them engaged early on, answer the questions or, or try to identify what are the real challenges we're trying to solve. Um, what are the what is it like to experience work in our organization, and how do we where do we need to, to to make changes? And from that standpoint, you brainstorm, you ideate, you come up with ideas, you test them out, you iterate. Um, it, but employees have to be involved. And it's interesting. So um, a colleague of of mine and I, um, we set out to do a little survey. We had a hypothesis that. The greater you involve employees in designing the experiences, the greater engagement right, you will have of your workforce. And so we did a survey, um, got some nice responses from across the globe, from all different sized organizations. And yes, you know, we, we found that um, where employers were um, indicating that they had high levels of employee engagement, they also indicated that they had a high degree of uh, involvement of employees in designing those experiences. Now, there were a few cases where a high level of engagement didn't correlate with a high level of involvement. So there were a few outliers there, but you know what there, What was clear is in 100% of the cases in both the US-based uh, companies and European-based companies, where there was a low level of, um, of uh, employee engagement, there was always a low level of employee inclusion in those design experiences. So the bottom line here is you want to improve the engagement in your organization, involve people, right? It makes, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, duh, aha moments. Yeah. It's obvious, but the numbers back it up. And, and we were also able in the research to, uh, to look at uh, things like, where are you involving them? It was really interesting to me. It was, it was concerning and interesting at the same time that um, less than half of the organizations we surveyed were actually soliciting feedback, which is kind of the first step in employee mm. design, right? Less than half of the employers were soliciting feedback on the, um, their direct manager, the quality, the relationship, et cetera. And there's been so many studies, you've seen them, on the, the impact of the manager-employee relation to engagement. Yet half, less than half of companies did. Another final finding, and then I'll stop, is that um, those who were reporting very high, high and very high levels of engagement seem to have much higher levels of incidents where they were inviting employees to provide feedback on the company mission and the company strategy and the culture. So I don't think HR commonly thinks to itself, hmm, let's ask employees what they think of our business strategy. But apparently you should. Because those were, with better employee engagement scores were consistently two to three times higher in their frequency and asking for feedback in those areas. In this era of shared data, group, you know, uh, leveraging crowdsourced thinking and, and the ideation that's possible across networks, why we think about strategy and mission and purpose in a silo is, is beyond me. That's, that's not where we should be today. And the, the numbers were showing it out from my, my research. It, you're right. It is a, a bit. Uh, it's a bit obvious, isn't it? If you ask your employees how they feel, they can have great ideas around the strategy. They can tell you stuff that you can maybe experience better and help improve business performance. Right. One thing that, that I'm starting to see more um, HR company, HR organisations get 
get from it, but it's actually understanding those employees that are directly facing the customer, such as in retail or in sales, and asking for them ideas. Did you see any examples of that during your research? We did. We did. We asked specifically about where were employees getting involved in the design experience, and um, one of the top areas, one of the top three areas, was indeed in customer um, customer satisfaction, customer support, and we also were able to validate that higher levels of customer satisfaction did tie in with higher levels of employee engagement in and involvement in those design experiences. So again, it feels right. Um, the numbers are showing it out. And I was really pleased to see that uh, for the most part, it was in the top three areas where people are soliciting involvement. And that's exactly what we need to see. And of course, if you solicit feedback, the key thing is uh, you need to analyze it. And obviously we've got now yes. that we can start analyzing text rather than just yeah. survey-based stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also, you have to act on it. Yeah, so I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> because one of the most shocking aspects of the survey for me was that less than half of organizations who collect feedback, which is great that we're collecting it, actually do anything with it. And it, what a fantastic path to employee disengagement. Yeah. Ask me how I feel and then do nothing about yeah. it. So an easy fix for any organization, if you're going to ask for feedback, take action. Now we did, and again, our, our research um, is uh, coming out here in the next few weeks, but um, we found that you know, companies who involved employees and getting their feedback and involving them in the design you know, that had higher levels of engagement were getting feedback in more than three, four areas. So they had more areas where they were collecting information. Um, and fortunately, those who had lower levels of engagement were generally collecting it in fewer areas. So that's good, because if you're going to collect it and not act on it, don't collect it in a lot of different areas. Um, so yeah, that's the number one thing any company can do, is if you're going to measure anything, focus and then make sure you take action. That it has to be a transparent process, communicate why you're asking, and then communicate the, the follow-up you're planning to take, and then take the action and communicate what you did. It's all about communication and transparency. And of course, the technology is there to support us to do that Absolutely. now. Absolutely. As you said, we need the right mindset, the right process, the right people, right. you know, organizing and delivering There are that. some fantastic technologies out there that are not just uh, enabling surveys, whether it's annual pulse or other um, different ways of communication. Um, they're providing dashboards for um, different leaders across the organization. Even some provide dashboards for employees mm -hmm. so that they can see what are, the, what are the conversations in the organization. And again, some of the tools are offering solutions to um, provide action, to recommend yeah. and actually track the action that's being taken. So this digitalization of the feedback process is exciting to see where we're heading. Um, it's just that more and more organizations have to not only embrace the technology that enables it, but the mindset that goes along with, oh, we need to communicate, we need to follow up. It's a, it's a, it's a two-sided solution for sure. You know, I've seen, I've seen that from some vendors um, where they've got, you know, it, for, at the manager level, it tells you what you're doing well, mm -hmm. and it tells you things that you might want to look at, and then it actually helps you with some actions that you might want to exactly. take. Exactly. On an individual level or on a collective level, yeah. which how helpful would that be as a manager? It, you know, it's fantastic. The, the again, the algorithms that drive that are are fantastic, and let's hope that the database that they're um, that they're sitting on are comprehensive enough uh, with knowledge of people to make really effective recommendations. For the most part, they are, but there's always more information that you can bring into those algorithms. And it sort of lends itself to the whole personalization and. 
a more personal analytics. We've seen it in the consumer field, um, and I think we're starting to see it a little bit more in the workforce now as well. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned um, uh, to somebody else about um, you know the the use of self service and manager self service, etc. This idea of analytics, why we relegate it to the administrative level, you know, has has been a challenge for me for years. I'm so glad to see new technology solutions that give me as an individual metrics. And quite honestly, it's a requirement more and more um, as far as the employee experience. We're starting to look at wellness and well-being. And, you know, what is the overall state of the individual, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, financial, et cetera. Nothing but personal analytics are going to be meaningful to me when you're talking to to me, when you're talking about well-being. Um, So I'm really thrilled to see increased number of applications that are bringing personalized insights, recommendations um, to me, and yet also helping me understand where I might fit in the larger ecosystem, whether it's my employer, people of my age, demographic, etc. It's exciting times. And back to the blockchain, I mean, one of the concerns, I think, from, from a workforce or employee perspective is if I'm getting personal recommendations around, you know, maybe you want to take a break, mm-hmm. maybe you've been working too hard, maybe you've been in too many meetings, the fear is, of course, that your employer will see that as well. Whereas I guess the great thing with the blockchain being it's your data, they won't necessarily see that. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really good example. Um, I, I think there's always the concern of Big Brother looking over your shoulder. Um, you know, in the in the future, when all data is about me is on this blockchain and I control it, I would suspect that I can subscribe to certain applications that give me that. I want an application that's going to tell me about my weight gain and loss. I absolutely don't want that shared on my <laughs> employer. But I actually wouldn't mind recommend you know a solution that said, hey, you've been sitting for ten minutes. Time it's time for a break. Yeah. Um, if my employer is doing that, it gives me a sense that they actually care about my health and well-being and my effectiveness while I'm working. So I think it's going to be an interesting mix of employer uh, versus personalized applications, how they mix during the work environment, and what is the work environment, right? Uh, it's, it's 24-7 for some. So it's going to be an interesting time. But the answer is going to be the more access to information and data that you have, the better analytics and, and applications that can be developed. So back to that whole trust thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, we ask this question to all our guests on the Digital HR Leaders Show, um, and uh, we can have we can say, you can take this wherever you want to take it. So, where do you think HR will be in twenty twenty five? Given some of the things that you've been talking about. So, twenty twenty five sounds a long ways away. And it's not. Is it's it? not. <laughs> so, if it was twenty thirty five, let's do twenty thirty five. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> so, twenty. Well, I'll, I'll answer both. Twenty thirty five. We might see that HR organizations have become, you know, irrelevant. I'm thinking smart contracts on blockchain solutions, incredibly intelligent and personalized analytics. Um, much of that. Uh, compliance and process and matching and, and, you know, really tailoring the experiences, I think are going to become much more automated. And where I see HR organizations um, moving uh, toward is more of the um, business and strategy support, um, maybe team building and, and, and just really um, ensuring, I, th- I think more embedded in the business really yeah. in 2035. There, there may not be HR organizations as they exist today. Six, seven years from now, 2025, um, definitely a move uh, toward more of the 
um, as we've been doing for the last five years, a move more toward analytics, insights, helping interpret and bring insights into the business to help managers and individuals make more information. One of the key things that I'd like to see happen by 2025, I don't have great confidence, every HR organization needs an innovation center, right? Mm -hmm. It should be design-led, design-thinking-led, innovating not just HR processes, but the way people work, yeah. the way we team, the way we partner, uh, the way we work even with colleagues outside of our enterprise to bring new ideas and insights in. So if I had a wish for 2025, it would be that every organization has a, a really exciting, well-funded, well-staffed um, center for innovation for the organization. So HR really just stop being a vertical silo yes. with even more vertical silos within it and actually start to go across the organization Absolutely. and think the organization rather than HR. Yeah. And I think a lot of HR um, people I speak to are, are scared about how their jobs will change. And you know, I see it personally as an opportunity that some of the more repetitive administrative tasks will all be automated, which means HR can focus on stuff that adds real value to the organization. Exactly, exactly. Innovation, alignment with strategy, exactly. um, consuming the insights that are available now in all of our systems in ways that drive better decisions to execute on those strategies. Yeah, it's funny, we talk about HR being a horizontal um, uh, business. But in fact, it's very siloed. It's very yeah, vertical, yeah. and uh, becoming more horizontal across the business and adding value is um, going to be hugely helpful. And I think that some of the challenges, analytics and employee experience, I see as being very horizontal. Absolutely. Uh, and maybe that's why HR is, has been struggling with them. We'll we'll get to that. Well, we could probably ca carry on talking for hours of it, but we do need to we do need to finish. So thank you for being a guest on the show. Um, how can people follow you on social media and how can they access some of the research that you've been publishing? Sure, sure. So on social media, um, on Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm simply at Yvette Cameron. Um, you can follow the work that we're doing on this new internet of careers, the role of blockchain and, and owning your data um, at uh, velocitycareerlabs.io. So we've got white papers and other information available there. And, um, you know, also uh, my email is y at nextgeninsights.net. Reach out to me, ask questions, love to engage. Yvette, thank you. thank you for being a guest. You bet. Safe trip back to Denver. Absolutely. Thank you very much. much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news on the future of HR, and you can also subscribe to my newsletter there. That's all for this week, but please make sure you tune in next time when we'll be speaking to Eden Britt, Group Head of People Analytics and Chief Data Officer for HR at HSBC, on how to build a people analytics team in a global organization. See you next time.